Hi there. Welcome to Reclaim You, a podcast published by the Reclaim Therapy team. Join us as we share stories, tools, and insights on how to reclaim you in the wake of trauma, disordered eating, and body shame. Grab your coffee, tea, or your favorite snack and get cozy because we're about to dive in. Welcome back to Reclaim You, a show for folks who have experienced trauma, disordered eating, or body shame. Today, we're talking to Laura. Welcome, Laura. Hi. 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 Um, Laura is one of the therapists at Reclaim Therapy. She specializes in treating trauma, eating disorders, body image concerns. She also has a special interest in treating folks who experience spiritual trauma and religious trauma. So, so glad that, that you're chatting today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So today we're going to talk about the sort of insidious and disconnecting ways of diet culture. Yeah. But before we do that, I'd love to hear from you a little bit. Like I've asked, I've asked everyone so far, what does Reclaim You mean to you in your personal life and in your work with clients? It's a really good question. I think I have to be honest, like when I first even was introduced to this practice as a potential place to work, the name alone was like, ooh, mm. very very intriguing to me because I think it, there is something in how we live so often where we are so disconnected mm -hmm. um, and not just from ourselves, but from others as well. And I feel like it's just, you know, the disconnect just keeps going and going and there's more and more ways that we're disconnecting. And we live in this sort of metaverse, right? Where it's like not really me interacting with you and now AI and well, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> I mean, we could. <laughs> Yeah, but let's just say that, you know, the one of the grandfathers of AI is like, dude, you guys better watch out. Um, so, <laughs> but I think like the idea of reclaiming you, really, it's it's this idea for me that we no longer have to live disconnected from ourselves and others. Mm. And that we can reclaim our birthright, which is that we're worthy, right? Mm. I'm worthy in my mind, in my body, and in my spirit, and it's not just one or the other or two and not the other. And so often when we talk about eating disorders, disordered eating, the body is the unworthy place that we disconnect from. But mm -hmm. if we dig deeper, it's a disconnect from a lot of other things. Totally. Um, and then, you know, this idea of coming home to ourselves that like mm -hmm. there can be a place of safety and deeply embodied love and joy that lives within us that we can come home to and feel safe with regardless of what we encounter day to day in the world. Really beautiful. I'm like soaking all of that in. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> yeah. it, it's real, right? I ha actually have a, there's a painting that was my mother's. Um, it's called I'm Coming Home. And it's this woman mm. traveling this road to this cottage, like on the Irish seaside or something. And I remember my mom who struggled. That meant so much to her. She hung it on her wall, especially in her, you know, at the end of her life, she was bedridden basically for six years. Mm. Uh, and just that idea that, you know, home can mean a lot of different things, but that the home can be within. So let's dive into to diet culture a little bit. When you started doing this work and like when your eyes kind of opened to diet culture, because mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what it is sometimes. It's this like awakening of like, oh shit, what stood out the most to you or what kind of shook you the most? I think honestly, what shook me the most was like, wait, there's, there's something different than what I know. Ah, uh, yeah. Seriously. I was like, what, what is this? Like, because 
diet culture was just so woven into every aspect of who I was. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that there was this other way to live free from it. And that was the big shock, I think, in all of it. And then as I stepped into it, I was like, wait, I, I no longer have to define myself, my life, my worth, my value, all that stuff by my weight, by the size that I wear. And I think also later on in the journey, especially because, you know, I became aware of this when I was in treatment. Um, and that's so why I was like in this bubble, right? Where everyone was talking this language yeah. and then going out into the world. And then also during the pandemic, being shut off from the world and having that as my grounding, if you will, uh-huh. and then having to go back out into the world, the challenge that it is to continually each day choose mm. anti-diet culture, if you will, to choose yeah to embrace, accept an anti-diet lifestyle, there were parts of me and still are parts of me that struggle to let that go, right? Like it was terrifying at first. And at times it still is hard because the rest of the world, so much of the rest of the world, at least this world in which I live, it is such a part of what the world is yeah, and what people talk about and what they live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That choice piece feels really huge, right? That we don't know that there is a choice until we know. And then sometimes choosing to stay resilient or to reject or, you know, to work the anti-diet side of things can feel really overwhelming and disconnecting your one person standing alone on a desert island. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the more that you like are choosing the alternative, right? The more that you're countercultural, the more the culture fights back and you're like, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that the idea of also having places of safety and support as a part Mm -hmm. of that, that can reinforce what I know now to be truth. And what I know now is the only path for me that really led to true healing Mm -hmm. and continues to, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. This like deep. Are are we ever healed per se? I think healing is a process in and of itself. Totally. It just kind of expands and deepens and. Exactly. The path keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And trees keep falling and rock slides and all that stuff. And after a while, we're like, damn, you know, I've been down this way before. I know how to climb over this or I know how to, you know, move Uh this out of the way. Oh, I have some people who can help me. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what have you seen or, you know, what do you talk about with folks when, when we're thinking of like the really sneaky ways that diet culture shows up in just our everyday. I know there are really kind of blatant ways of like Weight Watchers commercials or whatever they call themselves now, but what are the sneaky ways that, that you've come to to know or notice that it just kind of creeps in and tries to hook us in? Yeah. A conversation that often comes up with clients is this idea of from the moment we wake up and we feel ourselves in our bodies, one negative moment can shift the whole trajectory of our day. So I could be getting up on the happiest day of my life per se, or what should be like my wedding day. And I have a moment where I feel a certain way in my body, or I catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror, or I, you know, I try on something that doesn't quite fit the way that I wanted it to. Right. And all of a sudden anything positive goes away. Mm, Yeah. From the very time we wake up in the morning and throughout the day. So like that, that the course of my day was changed so dramatically with any type of moment 
where something was triggered in me. Uh Um, And then also just not being aware of why I was feeling so irritable or angry or what have you, or down or sad and attributing it to somehow it was my fault or, you know, why can't I get my shit together? Just not understanding that there was, there were other forces at work beyond me that were contributing to those triggers and instead just the self-blame and shame that just then further turned my days and my weeks and my months and my years into really challenging, difficult times. Yeah. Um, I think as well, like I think about um, healthcare and I talk about mm-hmm. this a lot for my clients who like avoid healthcare. Yes. Like I don't, I'm not going to the doctor. It causes me, you know, or anxiety. And I remember even growing up when you, when I first started going to the doctor and I don't know if they use these anymore, you would know probably better than I, but they had those weight and height charts and like the percentile that you fell into. Yeah. The growth. Re- yeah. 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 And, and I remember from a very young age, I was always like skewed to the top or almost off the chart. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that was always a bad thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, my mother, my mother was six foot tall, but that didn't matter. You oh know? my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. My father was like a football player, but that didn't matter because I didn't fit some sort of random determination of what the average person should fit into, which, you know, anyway, I just, I hated going to the doctor as a kid. Um, And it wasn't about the needles. I mean, I can give me all the needles and shots and all that stuff. It was about where am I going to be on that weight chart? Yeah. Um, And what does that mean? Yeah. Exactly. And so from a very young age, that like embodied shame that then lived in me getting weighed at school in front of your classmates, which they, Mm. I don't know if they still do that, but my God. Mm -hmm. Um, And then going to dance class. Here I am, I'm in dance class and I'm like five, six years old. And already I know, Mm. I'm, I'm already comparing myself to others. And already I know that my body is bad because it doesn't look like the other bodies in the room. Yeah. Right. So like, it's just, I mean, I don't know if that's sneaky per se, but it it was just there always. I I don't remember a time when I didn't feel body shame. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like the sneaky part of it is that internalized shame that develops from these messages, right? Like we take it on as our own because it feels like there's no other options when really, you know, it doesn't belong with us. We didn't consent that shame to develop or these beliefs to take hold and root in, you know, that's, that's from out there. Yeah. And, and the way that our families play a role in that, or like, uh, like the, where we grow up, how we grow up, who we grow up with. My mother herself had her own major issues, you know, with body shame and being in a, a six foot tall body as a woman, you know, a larger body. And so she was always dieting and it was always yo-yoing. And I mean, I was taking diet pills from a young age because they were there and it was like, well, yeah, try it. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. Not understanding. I mean, what, what person of five, six, seven gets mm-hmm. that this is a problem. These weren't my, and I'm not blaming my mother. She was a product of the same. Right. Um, and then just like family members, you know, oh, you've lost weight or, you know, we meet up with someone we haven't seen in a while. And the first thing someone says is like, oh, they really gained weight. Like it's uh-huh. all like, there's nothing else interesting about them. Like right. that's all you have to say. Right. That's Um, the observation. Yeah. Yeah. And so that all, you know, there was just so much shame. Like I didn't believe in myself. I wouldn't do things. Um, I would, you know, I I never thought I could be an athlete. Um, I never thought that I could, you know, do so much. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, I mean, the impact was, was beyond, I, I think as well, like the way that people just casually comment, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as I said, I, so I was a pastor for a number of years. I remember I, so I had bariatric surgery and had been going through weight loss at that time. And I remember people always feeling like they had a right to comment mm-hmm. on what I looked like. And, and that happens as a woman who's a pastor anyway, people sort of feel like they have that liberty to do so. Privilege. Um, yeah. Yeah. Privilege. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Invitation. Um, I don't know. We could use it like a million words, but like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Do I go into your workplace and talk to you about your body? No. But I just remember like people saying, oh, you know, you're just so beautiful. And now that you're losing this weight, you know, the men are going to be coming out of the woodwork and da, 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 da. So even when it came to like, am I worthy of a partner? And yeah. and that was so normal. It was so normalized, is so normalized. Mm-hmm. And just like then the isolation, the the refusal or not refusal, the resistance rather to engaging in any aspect of life, whether it's travel or dating, going out to dinner, just because I felt like I, I wasn't worthy of it. And I didn't know what I would encounter. Yeah. And, and that pulls into self-care, right? The, the hesitation to engage in self-care, yes. because are you worthy of that? Are you deserving of that? Especially when self-care behaviors have, for a lot of people, for a lot of years, what we consider self-care is actually rooted in diet culture, body shame. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because self-care for me for so many years and the people around me who thought they were supporting me and and their intent was good, right? Mm -hmm. Self-care was always about eating less, exercising more. Yeah. It was always about shrinking my body. Um, You know, I remember being in a meeting with someone who was a leader, spiritual leader, if you will, instead of talking to me about some of the internal struggles that were happening, it was like, well, you know, maybe you need to focus on your body and losing weight. Like there was this Mm. moment where that was brought up and I was like, you know, I already feel a lot of shame. This isn't helping. Um, So yeah, I think that, yeah, self-care, that's, that's all it was. I didn't understand self-care beyond that. Like if I would take a day to rest, I was being lazy. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, if I if I had to functionally eat because my schedule was crazy for so many years, then I was bad. I ate poorly. I ate badly. I wasn't being healthy. I needed to get back on the you know wagon of Weight Watchers or whatever the latest fad was. And in the end, it just made me sicker and sicker. I mean, it went, got to the point where I actually had weight loss surgery yeah. and experienced what it was to be in a smaller body for a while. But in the end, what it did was it further intensified eating disorder symptoms that I already had. And I relapsed and there I was in a much worse off position than had I never had the surgery to begin with. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious how, how you see the evolution of beginning to be able to take care of yourself in ways that aren't rooted in diet culture when that's what you've done in the past. Like how do folks shift from, you know, what's rooted in shame mm-hmm. and intention for for body change or acceptance or love or whatever to mm-hmm. self-care that's really rooted in worthiness and enoughness and turning towards yourself. Yeah, no that's that is the um that's the big question, right? The yeah. big challenge. Yeah. Um for me it it started personally and I think that this is what I try to bring into my work with clients. It really started with learning to listen more deeply and broadly that wisdom was not just that which we in our brains were told was the right thing to do or what have you or had learned growing up, 
but that like our bodies had other ways to communicate to us, right? Mm -hmm. That we can move into our emotional space in a safe way in the right setting. And I think like it's that listening beyond the thoughts when when it comes to diet culture type stuff or when it comes to self-care, like is this self-care behavior in which I'm engaging, if I really listen deeply, am I feeling better? (laughs) (laughs) Or, Or do I just feel shittier, right? I think that's a really good place to start. And what is better when it doesn't have to do with weight loss or body change or whatever? Like what is better? What is better? Yeah. How do we even define that? And if I've never, if I've, I've been told that feeling that way is bad, how can I even let myself feel that way? Uh, I mean, it's really complicated. Also the language, like I'm, I'm so curious, you know, and I listen deeply to the language that people use and whenever there's all those shoulds, needs, healthy, you know, whenever there's those buzzwords coming into the conversation, for me, that's a really good indicator that there's some trapped, stuck thinking and doing. And I, should it all over myself for years, you know, like, um, and I think that also goes, comes back to the behavior. If this behavior in which I'm engaging, which I'm calling self-care, let's say for some reason it can't happen. Let's say something comes up and I can't engage in it, or I have to flex or something. What is the impact on me? Can I flex? And I'm like, okay, no big deal. I'll just do that later or tomorrow. Or am I all of a sudden my entire day is ruined Mm -hmm. because I can't do this thing. That flexibility piece for me is also some indication as to, is this really self-care or is this a ritual, a rule that I'm holding myself to? And now I feel ashamed and irritable because I can't do it. And, you know, when we think about eating disorders and Mm -hmm. the intersection or, I mean, so much, I could say so much, but the intersection of eating disorders and diet culture, what does this mean for folks who are struggling with disordered eating or a diagnosed eating disorder who have just like really struggled with their relationship with food over the years? Well, I think it, it's not their fault is what I want to like, is my, my immediate response is it's not your fault. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I do feel like I'm Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting, you know, when he's sitting with Matt Damon, like, it's not your fault. Matt Damon just like falls apart finally after uh-huh. all the resistance. They did a good job there, I think, because there yeah. are days where, you know, it's, it's not our fault. And diet culture spends bazillions of dollars. Bazillions. Trying to convince you that it is your fault. Yeah. And planting or that, that same. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. How I think about it is this idea of the way that diet culture just continues to shame us, continues to bankrupt us financially, socially, physically, emotionally, to the point where we're so desperate that all we feel like is we we have diet culture to turn to, like that that somehow is our savior, right? Yeah. And let me tell you, these new medicines too, like in the commercials mm-hmm. now that they can have with Govi, I think it is. I am really angry because the song they use in their commercial, um, which is from The Greatest Showman, right? This is me. They sort of take it and turn it in the commercial. That yeah. song was like a, a pivotal song for me in my recovery and this idea of like stepping out from, this is the bearded lady singing this song in the movie. Yeah. And she's stepping out and embracing fully who she is. And like, this is me and I can show up with the beard and in this body and, and I can own myself. And, you know, the diet culture gets into those places and steals yeah. that us really ticks me off. And so, yeah, they're, they're really adept at it been doing for years. And, and all I can say is this, if diet, if diets really worked, then why do they still exist? Yeah. Why are they repackaging? Why do we go back to them? How many times are you going to go on Weight Watchers? Before yeah. you realize that maybe Weight Watchers 
is the issue. Right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And something that you said earlier too about the shoulds or the the kind of fear mongering around health and, and things like that. I was just thinking about how those are those little other sneaky ways that just kind of like hook people back in. Right. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, eating disorder treatment centers who are operating on very old paradigms of, you know, weights and food structure and and things like that. Those are still very rooted in diet culture and are really harmful to folks who are, you know, actively trying to recover and shift to a different paradigm. Well, and even the stuff around the food industry and some of these like rigid behaviors that have that have come out of trying to sell food to people, if you will, like mm. and create orthorexia and things like that, where it's, oh, where's this source? It has to be sourced here. It has to be. And all of a sudden there's all these other roles that we can create for ourselves. And then the shame of, well, if, you know, if you don't eat the way that I do, then, you know, you're somehow uh, morally responsible for the Mm -hmm. care and concern of animals or this and that. I'm not saying there's not a a tie into that, right? But there, there are some places and spaces and folks who really take that to the nth degree. And there can be a lot of further shaming around that. Anything else that you feel like would be helpful or supportive for folks to to think about or consider comes to diet culture and how it kind of sneaks in and, and disconnects us from ourselves? Yeah, I, I thought about how diet culture just really, it for me, in my work and in my own personal journey, the way that diet culture teaches us to completely reject ourselves and to, to choose to do so all the time, every yeah. day, you know? that I'm always seeking to change myself. I'm always seeking, you know, the latest, whether it's a diet or the latest um, healing modality, the latest, what have you, the latest fad exercise, right? Um, To try and change myself. This is the answer to all of my prayers because the only thing that matters is that I will be in a thinner body. That's Mm -hmm. all that matters. It doesn't matter who I am as a person. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. what gifts I have. It doesn't matter my relationships. You know, none of that matters because, you know, my life was not allowed to be lived. My life was not allowed to begin until I lost the weight. And that was the narrative for me. Mm-hmm. Well, when I lose weight, I'll do this. And to just let folks know that it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like that, first of all, I want to normalize that. If you're thinking yeah. that way, you're not alone. Right. And it's not your fault. And it's not your fault. I was going to say that. And it's not your fault. Still not your fault. Never your fault. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that your life, your life is now like, so, so how do we embrace the present moment in whatever body we're in? Because our bodies are going to change inevitably for various reasons. I mean, and it's not all about just food and exercise, which we want to boil it down to. There's so many genetic factors involved. There's so many other factors involved. And then also there's just the stuff of life, right? Having a baby is going to change your body, right? My husband completely tore his quad from the bone and had to rehab for 18 months. Like that's going to change your body, Yes, right? And we need to normalize that women who are in their 70s and 80s and 90s are still having, and men, I'm sure too, but in my circles, women are still having these conversations about trying to shrink their bodies. Like you have lived a lot of life and this is still the conversation. Yeah. My goodness. I mean, that it's just so sad. Yeah. And you deserve Um, so much more, right? Yeah. Yeah. How much of life have we put off or have we let pass us by 
because we didn't feel worthy because we didn't happen to fit a certain size or body, you know, and I think that that the other thing I, I failed to mention earlier is as a person who's always been in a larger body, something as, as simple every day as like going clothes shopping mm-hmm. and like never knowing if I was going to be able to fit into anything, if they would have my size, you know. Yeah. And then eventually when I got into larger sizes, having to go to special places and pay more money and mm-hmm. and feel shame around that and, and not having the variety, you know, something yeah. like thrift shopping even. Like I love thrift shopping. I love vintage shopping. But even then I'm like, you know, the odds are if it's clothing, I'm not going to find something in here. And if it touts, like there's this lingerie shop I just saw when I was down the shore and it was like for women of all sizes, but they ended at a size that I would say is there's a lot of sizes above it. (laughs) So all that stuff. But I think the bottom line for me, uh, what I want people to know is you do not need to buy this anymore. Mm -hmm. That indeed it's like Dorothy, right? You always had the answer inside of you. We have the wisdom inside of us, but it's buried under all of this bullshit. Yeah. And so I'm here, you're here, others are here to help you. We'll get the shovels out. We'll start to dig through it. It's going to suck, right? It's going to suck at times, but it's so worth it because in the end, what we uncover is this life that is so worthy of being lived and embracing and a place that we can call home. Yeah. That's, that's reclaiming Mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. That's what this is about. And I'll just add real quick that Laura just wrote a blog all about size inclusivity and some considerations for, for folks who consider themselves size inclusive. So I will link to that blog post in our show notes, if it would be supportive or, or helpful for folks to look at or share with people in their lives. It's a, it's a really great piece. Yeah. And I don't know if we have this capacity and if not, I mean, people can feel free to reach out to me individually, but like, I'd love to hear other people's stories. Cause I mean, mine was but one experience that I was mm-hmm. lifting up. I'm sure I, I'm sure there's other wisdom out there and to just, you know, invite that conversation. Like, you know, what are ways that would help you to feel Mm. more safe wherever you are more at home, less uh, like you didn't have to constantly be, you know, Oh my gosh, am I going to encounter another barrier here or here or here or here or here to the point where you can't enjoy anything? Absolutely. Absolutely. Send, send messages, contact Laura. We'd love to, to hear more about that from folks directly. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, everybody. Well, that does it for today's episode. We'll be back next week with more. We'll talk to you then. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Reclaim You. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast and check us out on YouTube at Reclaim You. We'll be back next week with another episode. So until next time, take good care of yourself. Mm